You're listening to devpath.fm, the podcast about career development for software engineers. Join the conversation at www.devpath.fm or on Twitter at devpathfm. Hey everybody, I'm here with Justin Hennessy. Justin's a engineering VP at uh, Neato E-commerce Solutions, and he's uh, kind of in that that leadership role now. But he's been an engineer throughout his career. So, Justin, you want to say hi and talk a little bit about what you do day to day? Yeah, thanks, Jacob. It's uh, it's uh, great to be here. Uh, so, my day to day essentially is to uh, help support uh, the execution side. Uh, for Nito e-commerce. So Nito is a Australia's uh, number one e-commerce platform. Um, so I essentially help uh, guide and advise and strategize, if you like, uh, around the technology side of the business. So I work with uh, cross-functional engineering teams, uh, infrastructure teams, infosec teams, corporate services teams. Uh, and then I sort of play the bridge between uh, the greater business uh, and uh, and the technical side. So I sort of sit on the uh, executive uh, bench, if you like, uh, as well. So I get involved in a lot of the business uh, strategy side of things. Awesome. Justin, uh, I want to ask just to kind of get us started. How did you get into software or technology? Uh, where did that Where did that start for you? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I um, I went back and listened to a bunch of your, uh, your podcasts and uh, a lot of the origin stories are very similar. Uh, you know, I sort of mm-hmm. started with my dad, uh, my dad bought home a, uh, a Spectra video, which was one of these old tape-driven machines, uh, and we would sort of put in basic code out of magazines and, you know, make little pixels move on the screen and that <laughs> kind of stuff. So that's sort of where I started. And then, you know, good old Commodore 64 came and came along, um, and, uh, yeah, then it was basically up from there. So, Do you kind of recall the first time someone gave you money for writing software? Yeah, actually, I I ran my uh, own uh, web hosting business. So I essentially ran uh, Joomla uh, with a. It was actually in the dial-up days. So uh, we have a, a Telstra here in a in Australia, and uh, so I had a permanent dial-up connection with them. And so I ran a, a bunch of Joomla sites uh, and and did the web the the web design plus the hosting and all that kind of stuff myself. So how did you uh, go from that into kind of what you would? You know, typically referred to as a senior position. When did you go from somebody who hosts other people's websites to somebody who helps other engineers uh, do their job better? So, look, I've had a I've had a pretty diverse background. Um, so, I started off um, sort of in the the realms of software uh, software development. I started with a company who built um, uh, software for uh, gaming ladders. Uh, so, things like uh, round, you know, ladders and um, what they call them, like, uh, you know, basically team versus team type, type of uh, generation of ladders. Um, and we also did real estate software. So uh, we basically had uh, like a, a walkthrough gallery, and this was in the, you know, a long, long time ago, where um, real estates could walk people through virtually through houses uh, just with sort of slideshows, but in a, in a sort of a software way. Um, I then actually transitioned from that to uh, infrastructure. So actually, um, I had a bit of a networking background. Um, so I actually got into um, sort of uh, data center builds and uh, you know that kind of stuff. Um, I then discovered Linux, 
which you know, as a lot of us do in our in our history. And um, then I got into uh, virtualization. So I then started um, uh, getting involved in consulting uh, around uh, virtualization cr clusters. You know, the very early uh, versions of Zen, um, mm -hmm. which was uh, which was super interesting, and uh, VMware. And so yeah, so I've actually sort of, I've sort of been senior in a in a couple of areas, and then I transitioned from that into people. So uh, you know, basically helping build high-performing teams, uh, you know, helping people work in more agile ways. Uh, and then I came full circle. Then I came back to infrastructure in the sort of infrastructure as code movement. So that's where I got into um, configuration management, um, automation, uh, cloud, uh, you know, and that's that's sort of where I I started to, you know, consolidate my skill set. Uh, you know, obviously in that capacity, you build a lot of tooling. So uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the development I did uh, at that stage was uh, was around uh, automation tooling, and um, yeah, so uh, so then um, then I essentially started at Nito as the lead automation engineer, um, helped them move uh, their uh, their entire platform from uh, one cloud provider to Amazon, and sort of my job was to uh, help them design uh, both the architecture, of the infrastructure, and the migration plan. Uh, which we did over a, a 12 month period. Uh, then, then asked me to head up the site reliability engineering team to make sure that the new platform stayed up. Um, and then 12 months ago, I sort of pitched to say, look, I think there's a there's a leadership gap here um, around the you know the, the technology department as a whole. Um, here is what I think we should do. And the CEO said, well, go at it. So I uh, stepped into the VP role uh, last year. So. So interesting that you said at one point in your career, you were doing this uh, infrastructure engineering type thing, and then you went into leadership and then you came, you know, full circle, like you said, back into that infrastructure as code. Yep. Um, what kind of changes did you notice having stepped away from that for a period of time? And how did you deal with those changes? Uh, fantastic question, because, it, it, you know, what, what I realized is the technical is, uh, for me, I'm very passionate about the technical. I love, um, you know, solving interesting business problems uh with uh with you know with creativity and and in us in software that's essentially what we do um so um i had to spend uh a big chunk of my last job getting back up to 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 skilled up in the sort of uh the code side of infrastructure um so i spent a lot of my time getting across uh, puppet and um, you know, Ansible, Terraform, uh, which is the the DSL for um, HashiCorp's DSL for uh, cloud provision or provisioning in general. You could, there's a lot of plugins for that. Um, so yeah, look, I it was from from when I was in traditional infrastructure to when I was in uh, you know sort of in the cloud space. Um, yeah, obviously the entire universe inverted and and basically it became a, a development job rather than a technical job so like a, a physical technical job so um what what methodology did you kind of use to get yourself back up to speed did you have a strategy or kind of a a way of approaching that problem that helped you to do that uh I, i'd love to say i did <laughs> but <laughs> but in fact but in fact it was just a need so what happened was um, the uh, we had a contractor that was looking after all of our infrastructure, um, and none of our development team had any any experience with it. So 
Um, we ended up starting to have a bit of a bandwidth problem around making changes and improving the platform and that kind of stuff from a configuration man management and automation standpoint. Um, so at that stage, I'd realized that I'd actually wanted a little bit more technical back in my role. Um, so I put my hand up and said, look, I'm, you know, I've, I've had a dabble, uh, with puppet. I know how it works. Um, I've got across how we use it. Um, and, um, yeah, so then that's, it sort of started there. Then I paired up with the contractor and then in the end, I pretty much ended up owning it and then just delegating the work out to the contractor. So during that experience, but also more recently and earlier on in your career, did you ever come across imposter syndrome? Is that something that affected you? Yes. Yeah. So again, uh, I was very curious as to see what, uh, what the other interviewees of your show, uh, said to that. Cause I was, I was interested to see how, uh, prolific it was and and of course it is it's prolific it's everywhere poster syndrome is something that i um have only really had a label for for a couple of years so uh mike cannon brooks uh from atlassian he did a talk at tedx at sydney in 2017 and he talked about it um so uh, look i think in technology it's just a given like if you're growing uh in the industry and you're growing in your role and professionally um and you're always sort of moving to a another place or a better place or, or a higher place, um, I think that you're always going to have a level of doubt, at least in the beginning. Um, there, there was a really good uh, YouTube video by uh, Molly Graham, um, who, and it's called uh, Give Away All, the Lego, All Your Legos. And she talks about um, essentially paraphrasing, um, you know, you should be looking to make yourself redundant, you know, after period mm -hmm. X, you know, because... Uh, you know, and I've taken a lot of um, a, a lot of stock from that. Um, so something that I try and do is I try and make sure that, you know, if if I'm doing the same thing I was doing 12 months ago, uh, then I get less and less value valuable to the business. So I'm always looking at ways to, uh, you know, uh, expand my circle of influence and uh, you know and and try and figure out how to add more value, get more context business wise, uh, you know, bring more insights in from outside of technology. Mm -hmm. Um, just to see if there are places that technology, you know, either technology or myself can help, you know, in, in other parts of the business. So, you know, I'm always looking at, at opportunities to grow and, and obviously I build up people around me so that they can sort of either succeed or, you know, get promoted in their particular discipline or, or whatever. So, mm -hmm. How would you advise someone work their way out of their own role? How would you advise that they make that change every 12 months most effectively? Honestly, it's about giving up power, right? So it's about empowerment. Um, so um, you know, my philosophy is, uh, you know, to be a great, to be a, a good leader, you surround yourself with great people. Mm -hmm. um, so and and you know, you you then surround yourself with great people, and then you empower them to do the job that they were hired to do, and then you develop them to become even better at their job. So instead of be being the uh, uh, you know sort of individual contributor. Um, you become a, the multiplier. So rather than, uh, you know, I love being on the tools, but I'm not as valuable as I can be on the tools for the business. I'm more valuable building up and multiplying both capability and leadership in the people around me because then, you know, there are five of me, mm -hmm. you know, doing the growing and the, you know, circuit, uh, gathering people around them to, you know, to build potential and that kind of stuff. So, you know, a big part of my role is to, um, build capability and, and, and develop leadership. 
Can you think of an experience where you kind of realized that you could be more valuable in that way? Lara, was there a moment where you realized that that was what you uh, were capable of contributing? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's essentially what the, the VP of engineering role, like there was no VP of engineering mm -hmm. at uh, Nito when I started. So um, my, I saw there were challenges within the business uh, from a technical standpoint and also a communication standpoint uh, and a leadership standpoint even. Um, so I pitched the, here is where I think the gaps are and I think I fill these gaps and here is what my sort of thinking is over the next 18 months as to how we might plug some of these gaps. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky to have an exceptionally awesome CEO uh, who is very uh, supportive and, and open um, and I'm able to sort of table anything and, and most of the time, you know, I can basically come to, uh, yes, actually you can go ahead with that. So it's a pretty empowering sort of environment. As a leader, how do you think you can most effectively empower people that you're managing or mentoring? Um, look, empowerment, it, it, there's obviously a very complex topic, but, you know, my, um, you know, there's a few factors. So I treat my, I treat my direct reports as I would treat my peers. Um, so, um, you know, I work, they work with me, not for me. Um, and it is, it's about building trust and safety. Um, so if you can build an environment where, um, you know, they feel empowered to make decisions and come to the table with ideas and innovations, um, you know, it's a very, it's, it just builds momentum. Um, so, you know, if you have somebody who is always constantly coming to check with you, you know, uh, essentially asking permission. Um, I, you know, I, I say to them, look, I trust you, you know, I have trust in your ability. We hired you because you're good at what you do. Come to me with, I intend to do such and such. Um, and then I will go, that's awesome. Go ahead. If I've got feedback or I have observations about the approach or whatever, I can give you that, you know, in real time. So, but you, you know, you don't need to come to me and ask permission. Did you have any distinct troubles when you were transitioning from that in, that individual contributor role into a management role or was it a natural fit for you um look i don't i don't think anybody can naturally transition into that because you know it's it's very satisfying um being on the tools bau um and and delivering like you know there's something very satisfying about that um, when you take the hands off the reins of the tools and the and the day to day coding, um, you sometimes well the the way I felt I felt lost. So I felt well, hang on, I'm not doing things. Um, so I that means I'm not productive. But the the point is is that you you move away from being that you know the sole deliverer to the multiplying effect for the deliverers. You know, so your job is to support and you know, and build up and, uh, you know, and, and essentially be the mechanism that allows the people who do the execution to do their job to the best of their ability. Do you have advice for anyone who isn't in that role yet, but wants to get there? People who are doers, but want to become facilitators? Uh, yeah, like uh, read, read and read and read. Um, you know, the, the one thing that I, you know, and retrospect is always a, uh, you know, it always is uh, 2020 hindsight. Um, mm -hmm. Had I have known what I know today, I would have started my education journey and my, my growing journey 15, 20 years ago. Um, 
read books about, you know, about leadership, about, you know, empowering people. You know, there are hundreds and hundreds of books out there. And what what starts to happen um, is that when you read enough in a particular domain, um, the semantics of what they talk about are different, but the actual underlying principles are the same. So it all starts to mesh together in this beautiful lattice of, oh, wow, I can use this model or this tool or this technique um, to, um, you know, to solve this particular people problem. Because, look, uh, my attitude is um, you can teach anybody something technical, um, but your ability to, you know, be self-aware and have good communication skills and attitude and engagement and all that kind of stuff, that's, that's entirely up to you. So, you know, building that capability within yourself. You know, there's some great authors out there like, uh, you know, uh, Dan Pink and, you know, who talks about, you know, what motivates people and David Rock who talks, uh, you know, he, he wrote the book on um, quiet leadership. So, you know, I've had a number of people who have said, look, I want to build my leadership capability. And I say, well, the very first thing you need to develop is your ability to have a conversation, like have a safe conversation with somebody and have a, a strategy for making that conversation productive. So, I mean, leadership, all a lot of it comes down to communication. What do you think the right way for someone in an engineering role to practice that, that skill of communication is? Um, I think that, uh, especially in the technical side, um, it is about, you know, a good place to start is sort of that, uh, you know, wingman type mentoring type mechanism, uh, you know, so, um, take a junior under your wing and help mentor them and, you know, and build them their capability um, and, and, you know, and, and give that them that safe environment, you know, give them the, you know, uh, essentially educate them in the mantra that, you know, failure is not a, not a bad thing. Failure is about learning. Um, and, you know, um, yeah. So if you are, you know, I've, I've spoken to um, quite a few people. So I, I do some mentoring on a platform called Plato um some leadership mentoring and i've had quite a few senior engineer people who have asked exactly that like how do i make the transition from a purely technical person to a uh, you're like a team lead or a, or a department head or whatever um and again it is it is purely and utterly a uh you know building of capability around communication and empowering you know if you are constantly saying to somebody do it this way do it this way um they are as an individual they will never grow so, you know, what you're after is, you know, get them to propose the solution, support them and, and do a little bit of prodding. So the whole coaching sort of idea, you know, rather than give them the solution, try and get them to sort of think through the process. And, and most of the time, people will solve the problem themselves. Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're in this mentorship position, what is some piece of advice that you find yourself repeating over and over again? I think, I think it comes back to the growth. Um, to be honest, the, the reading and, and get yourself exposed to things outside the square. So I, I do a lot of um, reading outside of the technical, um, mm -hmm. you know, so um, because I think that helps um, broaden the way that you think. And, and it has literally changed the way that I think about um, my profession and my role and, and what value I can add to the business. So it makes you, it broadens your horizons. Um, around how to tackle certain things and you start thinking in a different way. Um, so, yeah, my, my very first advice to anybody who is looking to do anything professionally is start growing. Start growing as a, 
as a professional. Uh, and the best way to do that is to, is to do a lot of reading. So as a manager, you still have to, as a manager of technical people, you still have to keep up with um, technical trends and, and new tools. How do you balance that with not necessarily being in those tools every day? Uh, yeah, look, great question. Um, so I, I was really fortunate um, last year to have a one-on-one -on -one with the chief uh, architect of Amazon, uh, Glenn Gore. And um, he gave me, you know, and it's not world earth-shattering sort, of, uh, sort of advice, but he said, I asked him, how do you, I asked him that question, how do you balance keeping technical and helping with the strategy side and the mentoring, the leadership. Um, and he said, I work in thirds. I work a third of the time I work, um, you know, directly with the technical teams and I actually cut code. A third of the time I'm working within the business to help with strategy and a third of the time outside of the business, seeing what other people are doing, seeing what other vendors are doing, seeing what other, other you know, what are the tech trends and, and that kind of stuff. And that's something that I've really tried to develop over the last 12 months um, is, you know, is that capability of being able to make that transition. So it, it's a, it's a tough gig um, at this level um, to split up your time. Um, but yeah, it's just something you've got to be relatively disciplined with. Um, when you talk about splitting your time, what does that look like on a day-to-day -day basis for you? Do you set goals or do you actually calendar out things that way? Is it structured or do you just kind of try to keep yourself in check as, as problems arise? Yeah, so uh, this actually probably ties into one of your more common questions is what are you really bad at? <laughs> and uh, um, what I'm really bad at is uh, is blocking out time and sticking to it. Um, so because my day-to-day uh, -day is so diverse, uh, you know, I talk to, you know, the head of our enterprise um, department and I, you know, have direct connection with our customer service and cu customer success departments. Um, I often talk to you know, the COO and the CEO about strategy. So it's very difficult to um, always pin down time. Um, but yes, the, the way I try and do it. So what I've done is I've actually um, spread my meetings out from two to two solid days. So I have like a uh, try and make two solid days that do have no meetings. Uh, and then that's where I uh, sort of embark on either technical work or deep, what, what I call deep work. So again, there's a really good book uh, called Deep Work around, you know, the benefits of blocking out big chunks of time um, to a task. Uh, because as we know, uh, you know, as human beings, we're really rubbish at multitasking mm -hmm. uh, and context, uh, context switching is, is, is the devil. Um, so um, yeah, so that, that's sort of how I try and tackle it is I block out two particular days in the week um, where I try not to schedule anything and then I have big blocks of blocked out time and then I divvy that up into, okay, well, you know, I need to do a, you know, like at the moment, you know, I'm helping the technical team do a, a proof of concept with a new metric stack, for instance. Um, so, you know, that's that's time that I'm allocating both uh, during during hours and out of hours because, you know, technology is a lifestyle. It's not just a, <laughs> not just a job. So, um, so yeah. So that's that's how I uh, tackle that. So that that last thing you kind of mentioned there, technology as a lifestyle, not a job. How does that affect the way that you manage people, knowing that you are having an impact on more than just their job, their lifestyle? Does that change the decisions you make regarding people? Yeah, look, it's a great question. Um, look, I am an absolute advocate of the concept of sustainable pace. Right now, 
I think that's a pretty misunderstood sort of concept. You know, for me, sustainable pace is, you know, if we need to crunch to a particular um, either technical or business deadline, um, then, you know, we put in the effort um, and then we make sure that we've got a, you know, a level. You, you obviously can't keep crunching because that becomes a burnout, you know, problem. Mm -hmm. Um, but look, the other thing is I lead by example. Um, I, I will never ask somebody to do something that I wouldn't be prepared to do myself. So, um, you know, uh, for 12 months, I head, head up the, uh, the SRE um, sort of team. And, you know, I, I was part of the on-call and, you know, and we would rally together around incidents and things like that. So, um, you know, I would never... I would never ask somebody to do something I wasn't prepared to do. And I am very conscious of the whole burnout thing. Cause you know, look at the end of the day, people have got a life as well. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm just fortunate to, to love what I do. So uh, my, mine is a choice rather than a, than a, uh, you know, something that's forced upon me. Have you ever uh, dealt with burnout yourself? Um, probably not in the true sense of the word, um, but I have definitely gotten to levels of fatigue that probably aren't great. Um, and and to be honest, again, like it it is, uh, it comes down to prioritization. Like the the list is always infinite, um, so you will never get everything done. Um, so that's why, you know, both and it's not just a technical problem; it's a business business and organizational problem. Why, if you are not focusing on some key areas um, then you will end up getting a lot done very thin but not necessarily productive um, so i think the you know the ability to prioritize and um, and pick out those key things so my my leadership team and i uh, we do that on a weekly basis uh, so we have uh, we've uh, used okrs um, and so as a as a technology team and as a business, uh, we have quarterly objectives, but my leadership and I team, we break down our weeks so that we can go, okay, well, by the end of the week, you know, we need these five key things done or whatever. Um, so that's how we try and achieve, you know, uh, a level of focus, um, you know, and those, those key areas could be in, you know, very diverse domains. They could be in the people and culture space or they could be in the technology space or cost optimization space or whatever. I'm kind of curious about your experience implementing OKRs uh, uh, at scale. Okay, so the, the important thing is not the framework you use, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the, it always comes back to, it's the same as technology. Like technology for technology's sake is of no value to anybody. Like containerize all the things is not a thing. <laughs> so, you know, like it, it, it makes no sense just to look at it through that lens. So the problem we were trying to solve were, well, there are actually a, a number of problems. So um engagement um people understanding what value they add to the business so if you go back to what dan pink talks about uh you know um you know people feeling purposeful um you know mastering their craft and you know and understanding their you know their, their value within the business um so it's about um you know engagement it's about um you know people understanding what impact they're having to make the business a, a success but the key thing is alignment. So having, um, there's a lot of terms for it, but line of sight. So, so that somebody at the, on the ground level um, has a line of sight as to how they are impacting the vision of the company. Um, so that is the problem that we tried to solve um, with. And, and in fact, we didn't start with OKRs. We started with another, uh, another system called V2MOM, 
which is uh, something that Salesforce uses quite heavily. Um, but what we found with that particular mechanism is that it did okay for the annual sort of view, um, but it, it didn't do so great for the quarterly sort of breakdown. So to make the goal a little smaller so that you could see whether you were progressing well within that 12-month shifting window. Um, so that's that's what we saw um, OKRs being powerful um, uh, to solve for us. So we piloted it in as all good things. Uh, you pilot it in one place in the organisation. You either prove or disprove that it works or it's valuable. Um, we then, as a department, presented those findings to the business. Um, the business loved it and said, okay, we're going to roll it out. Um, so quarter four last year and quarter one was sort of our first um, you know, inroads into doing the technology and then quarter two this year is when we rolled it out across the business. So, yeah, so it's about alignment. It's basically, you know, if, if you go to somebody anywhere in the business and you go to them, how are you, you know, do you understand the value that you're adding to the vision of the company? Um, if they can answer that, then you're probably doing a pretty good job. From what I've heard so far, it sounds like you internally have always had uh, that understanding that your goal was to contribute to uh, the overall mission of the business. But a lot of people, and especially in engineering roles where it's kind of nuts and bolts, they don't see that larger picture. Was there a certain point in your career where you kind of realized that your job was to further the goals of the company, not just solve technical problems? Hmm. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's any particular, look, I, I think I have, I think I have um, had a fairly good level of business acumen in my career, just generally. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm always thinking about the the I'm, well. I always try and think about the greater good. Um, so, you know, as I said, like you know, implementing technology for technology's sake. Um, you know, having the best designed uh, you know engineering solution is not necessarily the best thing for the business. Mm -hmm. um, so as, as a whole, right? So the, 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 there is a constant battle between technical excellence and business reality, right? And that is always going to be an ebb and flow. So one of the things that we have tried to um, foster is a better relationship between our product owners and our technical leads. Um, so um, Myob, in fact, um, I took inspiration from them. They have a, uh, a setup called Two in a Box. So they essentially, for any engineering body, um, they have a pair of both product and technical that they they are like a symbiotic pair. And the idea is, is that you look through both of those lenses, you try and develop a healthy friction between those two, two, those two people. Um, and the idea is, is to, you know, they agree on an approach, you know, that may be both, that may be consensus, or that may be disagree, but commit to a direction anyway, knowing that the next one might be, you know, a technical uh, directive, you know, that they are going to satisfy or the other way. Um, so that's that's sort of how we've tried to tackle that. So switching gears a little bit from like the high level, in a in a day to day role and in your own experience as an engineer, how have you found the most effective ways to build a technical skill set? And whether that's someone that's reporting to you or reporting to someone that you manage or you yourself, have you found that uh, that one-on-one -on -one mentorship relationship works best or is it more of a project-based, like heads-down methodology for learning? Um, oh, look, I think the, I think 
what works has worked best is the, the the pairing, like the pairing and mentoring type idea. Um, I mean, we do a hybrid. We we do a bunch of stuff. So we try and do high level um, exposure to technology and technology concepts in our team. Uh, at, so we have weekly training sessions where we sort of do a particular topic, um, and then if that topic is something that's fundamental, um, so a good example is React, um, is something that we're sort of starting to adopt a little bit more heavily. Um, uh, you know, our plan is to do some high-level sort of education broadly, but then break up and 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 start giving one-to-one or very small or more intimate groups mentoring to to skill up in those areas. So I kind of want to focus a little bit more on your experience with this, but you've been doing development and and building software and leading software teams for a fairly long time. What what are the things that you've noticed that that aren't changing over time but are, are consistent between every role you've held? Is there something, you know, that, that binds them together that you think makes you good at what you do? Um, well, I think that, uh, I think that my ability to balance the soft skills with the technical is, is where I have flourished the most. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have, I have in pretty much every organization I've worked in, I've been that bridge between the non-technical and the technical. Um, but I'm technical enough, um, that I can have credible conversations with highly technical people, but then I can translate to uh, to the business what the benefits of something might be. Um, you know, so that's that's part of the you know my current role that you know over the next twelve months is is quite important. Is around you know you know we're looking to evolve things in our modernize our stack. You know, that, you know as all all software businesses are trying to do on a, on an ongoing basis, but you know, sort of bringing the, the value of that proposition uh, more to the business is something that uh, that uh, is, a, is a bit of a focus of mine over the next 12 months. So, yeah, look, I think the, the hybrid between the technical and the, and the soft skills is definitely, you know, the, uh, the, the centerpiece of what value I bring, I think, to any organization. So I've already kind of asked you the hard question. The, why didn't you brought it up, actually? The hard question, what are you bad at? <laughs> Um, yeah. but if there's something that you think you could stand to improve on and you have a plan for how you're going to improve on it, what is that? And, and how are you approaching that problem? Yeah, sure. Um, so one of the, um, one of the things I, uh, and again, I'll go back to some of your previous sort of interviews. Um, you've got some amazing people who talk about, um, the content that they create. Um, you know, so I'm very, uh, I'm very sort of new in the blogging space. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done I've done a lot of presenting in my in my um, in my past, but it is something that I'm really keen to do more of. Um, and I think one of the biggest things that um, uh, that I you know that I really liked from some you know some of your previous uh, sort of interviewees is um, talk about what you what you do and what you know, right? You know, because like all bloggers and like all people who are trying to create content, you get the white page fever problem, right? So it's like, well, where do I start? You know. Actually, nobody cares about what I've got to say, but that's actually not important. The important part is that you talk about you because you are the lens through which you look is unique. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, the number of times I've found a blog post where I've gone, if you just look at it on face value, it's like, well, that's simple. But 
it just conveys the simplicity of, or, or someone's interpretation of how they've done it. They're going, oh, I didn't think about it that way or, oh, I didn't realise you could connect this and that, um, mm-hmm. that kind of idea. So I think anything that anybody's got to say is valuable to somebody. Um, so, uh, yeah, so look, I mean, the, <laughs> uh, you know, for instance, presenting is, is something I really, really enjoy. Um, I, I have not really put much effort into it, but that's one of my major goals this year. Um, and in fact, I've, uh, I've actually gone to uh, singing lessons um, to, because I've done a, a lot of research and w- working on resonance and presence and whatever, um, you know, you get a lot of that technique from singing. So I'm, I'm musical, um, so, you know, I sort of play the guitar um, and, you know, I do a little bit of publishing on YouTube and, and SoundCloud. Um, but, yeah, so I've, I've started singing lessons to, to both because I, I like the idea of, you know, the, the music side of it, but also I know that the techniques that you learn in singing um, is, is going to be beneficial for my presenting uh, sort of capability in the future. Well, before we, before we close up, I want to give you an opportunity to share anything you're working on or point people somewhere they can go and, and learn more about you. So Justin, do you have a, a place online that people should go to to learn more about you? Yeah, I've got a about me page. Uh, so it's just justinhennessy.me. Uh, and that has all of my, uh, you know, sort of all of my social media. So GitHub and LinkedIn and SoundCloud and YouTube. Okay, awesome. So, um, all right. Well, Justin, I really appreciate your time and and uh, you sharing your, your expertise and kind of your your take on you know, being a manager versus being an engineer. I think that's really valuable experience that people don't always get to hear about. Um, it's not something every engineer can do. So it's, it's pretty unique to you. And I, I appreciate you being open and sharing. No problems. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Thanks for listening to devpath.fm. Want to ask a question? Send an email to jacob at devpath.fm.